get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Ready to roll here, TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at TSN Analytics, at AndyMC81. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes, the iHeartRadio app. We post the links on Twitter as well. So no excuse not to find this fine program. On today's show, Travis Yost from TSN.ca. He'll join us in just a minute or so. Then Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey, one of their great analysts in about 15 minutes. Kent Wilson from The Athletic Calgary. And NHL.com fantasy hockey writer James Harding. Let's bring on the line now. Travis Yost, who, of course, coming off of some U.S. Thanksgiving. Brother, how are you doing? Are you full of turkey? How are you feeling? Still feeling pretty full. I, I got to say one thing, though. This is now year two or three for me clamoring for this. But, you know, with, with how strong U.S.-Canadian relations are, why can't we jointly share both Thanksgivings? That way we're covered the three weeks prior to American Thanksgiving and then the American Thanksgiving. So we we both double dip on both sides. I think this is 100%. something that Trudeau and Trump need to work on. I th- among other things, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am with you 100%. Now, Travis, you're famous for your, your food takes. I, haven't, I didn't have a chance to, to go through to, uh, your Twitter feed at Travis Yost to see if uh, there's any Thanksgiving side dishes you're, you're against or, or any hot takes there. Do you have any hot Thanksgiving Day takes? Uh, you know what? It, I actually put in a pretty weak performance. I think I only had a play. I filled up on apps. This, this is this is oh, my one oh. critique of Thanksgiving. If you have too many appetizers, you're gonna you're gonna really under deliver at dinner. And I broke the cardinal rule. I mean, I was mowing down appetizers for an hour, hour and a half, and then the food came out, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, man, I'm pretty full already. I think I only had one play. I was I was so disappointed in myself. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. You still got leftovers. Uh, Travis, <laughs> let's go north of the border here to the Ottawa Senators. And we know as an organization, the Sens have just been a, a laughing stock, a gong show over the past number of months. And uh, on TSN.ca, you described the Sens as the league's most perplexing team. What about this brutal organization on and off the ice is most perplexing to you? Uh, I, the on-ice results right now are, are pretty ridiculous. Uh, you know, you watch the game last night, they lose 6-4 to Dallas. You know, oh, pretty high-scoring game, except that's literally how every game this season has been played. <laughs> I, they are they are shooting above 10% offensively um, over now 30% of the regular season, which is obviously ridiculous. Um, it, that That's the type of white-hot offense that, that can win you a lot of games in the standings and actually put you in the playoffs, right? Um, but then you look at where they are in the standings, and you're like, wow, they are basically – I think they're a point or two up on Florida for dead last in the division, but they've played two or three games more than Florida. So for all intents and purposes, they're dead last in the division. So you say, how does one of the league's best offenses also find themselves dead last in the division? The answer is pretty simple. Uh, we, and I, and I, this is not for effect. This is not hyperbole. We have not seen a team put in this type of defensive performance in at least 20 years. And in, oh. from some measures, it's possible you can argue that we've never seen this before. So at their current pace, they're giving up nearly 40 shots a game, and they're giving up four, uh, 4.4 goals per game. If you carry those out, and, you know, I hate, I hate saying they're on pace four when it's only been five games, but we're 30% of the season in now. If you carry their shots against pace and goals against pace, 
they are on pace to give up more shots than any team since at least 1960, and I just can't go back any further than that. So for all (laughs) intents and purposes, they may give up the most shots against ever. Um, And from a goals-against standpoint, you'd say, okay, Ottawa should fare a little bit better because the 80s and 90s were flush with teams with these crazy high-scoring games. They're on pace to give up 356 goals right now at four at roughly four and a half goals against the game. That would put them 36th worst all time, which doesn't sound so bad. But when you remember that the 35 teams above them, almost all of them played in the 80s and 90s, um, this would be the worst goals against number we had seen since at least 1995. So 25 years, call it, on the goals against front and on the shots against front, we've never seen anything like it. It's, I think it's a. In, in large part, it's kind of uh, stylistic. I, obviously, we know the talent's pretty much been gutted, especially on the blue line. They've got a lot of young players who are learning the ropes pretty quickly. Um, but they, they are a team that gets pretty much bludgeoned in the defensive zone on every shift. But when they can break out, they do generate a lot of rush opportunities, and rush opportunities are generally um, correlated with better, you know, more quality scoring chances. So what you have here is a team that's getting really shelled for 40, 45, 50 minutes and then they'll have spurts of five, seven, eight minutes in a game where they can generate offense, and that offense is actually pretty electric. I mean, we've seen some games already this year where Ottawa's, Ottawa's scoring four, five, six, seven goals in a game. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, I've I, I got I to be honest. I, I need someone to sanity check me. I can't remember a team that's ever seen this type of disparate result where the offense looks pretty good, the defense is a calamity, um, they're still on pace for a bottom four-ish finish. Um, I, I just have never seen such polar opposites on two ends of the ice like we have with Ottawa this season. Yeah, it's very strange. In conversation with Travis Yost on Twitter, at Travis Yost from TSN.ca. couple of heads flying around the coaching ranks. Let's go to Edmonton. Tom McClellan out. Ken Hitchcock in. And Peter Shirelli still making on-ice decisions. It, it seems to be a consensus here, Travis, that the Oilers need to at least qualify, uh, qualify for the playoffs, maybe even win a round for Shirelli to retain his job beyond this season. How much faith do you have in Edmonton's on-ice talent under Ken Hitchcock to help Shirelli stay afloat? Oh, boy. So I, I really like Ken Hitchcock. And, again, I actually think this Edmonton roster has a little bit underperformed uh, this year. I think they're a little better than they showed. Obviously, they are tremendously top-heavy, and top-heavy is probably kind to – that's a kind way of saying their depth is horrendous. <laughs> um, but they have just so much star power, especially on their first line. They've got decent goaltending. Um, you know, we've talked about this in the past. They're, they're an easy mark for great teams in the West, like Nashville, Winnipeg. Like, they'll just roll over Edmonton. But the Oilers should have enough, even in, a limited, even in limited scope, to beat some of these other Western Conference teams. Um, to your point about Hitchcock, though, you know, I, I really like Hitchcock. I think, I think the results have been there. He's historically shown. Um, that he can favorably impact goaltender performance, which is really interesting. If you watch certain goalies, uh, how they've played or what type of save percentages they've posted with Ken Hitchcock and then what they do when they leave Ken Hitchcock, um, he's consistently shown that he has a positive effect on that front, which I think is really interesting. Um, But I think the most interesting point still in Edmonton is, so what if Hitchcock doesn't get the team into the playoffs? I mean, I think the easy the easy point of discussion is, oh, do we bring Ken Hitchcock back next year? Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure that's the biggest point of discussion. I actually think if Edmonton misses the playoffs, Peter Chiarelli is going to be looking for a job. Um, that would be three out of four years with a DNQ. Um, and then if you remember the fourth year, they had that unceremonious exit to the Anaheim Ducks. The right. They effectively have nothing, nothing to show for the Connor McDavid era. And even if Edmonton gets a little bit of a jolt under Hitchcock, which I suspect they will, um, tough loss, tough overtime loss yesterday. Uh, you know, I, if, if they don't make the playoffs, 
that that is going to be my bet. My money is on a full full wholesale regime change that would may include Ken Hitchcock, um, but it's going to include more prominent people in that organization. Yeah. Um, so I, ultimately, I guess what I'm saying is, <laughs> regardless of what happens with the coaching staff, I think there are there are bigger fish to fry for Daryl Katz in that organization right now. Travis, let's finish up on this. Uh, I look to the top of the standings in the Atlantic, and I keep having to rub my eyes, and, and you know, you look and you're like, okay, Tampa Bay, check. Toronto third, okay, check. Then there's Boston underneath. Okay, that's a bit unusual. And then you see the Buffalo Sabres in second with eight straight wins. Jeff Skinner rolling with 17 goals this season. What am I looking at with the Buffalo Sabres? This is a team that has, has sucked for years, and now they're balling out. Like, What should we expect the rest of the season from the Sabres? Yeah, so you know the Sabers are a little bit outperforming what what we would expect right now, and then and I think you could that's probably a fair statement for any time a team rattles off eight consecutive wins, you're going to have some games in there that you won that you probably shouldn't. But you know, at the end of the day, this is a much improved Buffalo team, and you know, one of the things that I spent a lot of time researching and writing about this summer, um, and usually when I do this, nine times out of ten I end up being wrong. Um, and then we talk about how wrong I was, but you know, this, the interesting dynamic here was that. You know, I thought Jeff Skinner, before they made the trade, would, would have been a perfect fit for exactly the type of complementary player you need for Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel really needs that type of uh, individual shooter who is going to hog the puck, who is going to make the most of his chances, and is a high-volume guy. Jack Eichel is an unbelievable distributor of the puck. Um, you know, I actually, you know, he, I don't think he's as good of a goal scorer as maybe we initially projected, but I actually think he's a much better passer than we initially projected, too. So, you know, he, he's, kind of, uh, he's kind of in this mold where obviously an elite first-line guy, um, but definitely would see his numbers more pronounced with the type of player that they put on his wing in Jeff Skinner. And uh, what I'm getting at is they have, Buffalo, by way of one trade and one draft pick by way of tanking, have created an extremely, extremely formidable first line. Now, I think you can make the argument that, you know, some of their depth are a, a bit more outperforming expectations than we would than what we would have perceived in the beginning of the season. But you know, even their depth players are breaking even in shots, breaking even in goals, or at least close to it. And then you've got this first line that's humming along. You you put those two things together, you are talking about a playoff team. Now, I, I you know, will Buffalo win the division? I, I think it's fair to bet against that happening still. But you know, this this is a team that's humming. And what I think the interesting discussion point here is. Is we pretty much had Toronto, Boston, Tampa Bay, no, you know, no yeah. specific order, locking down the first three spots in that division. What if Buffalo can chase down the third spot? You know, hmm. that that really throws a wrench in what we thought was the most predictable of the four divisions. And then the question becomes, well, who falls out? I, I think Tampa Bay and Toronto are too good. Um, I think Boston's better than Buffalo still, but is Boston at risk? And I, I think ultimately that's actually what's made that division so interesting on top of the fact that Florida looks terrible this year. So, you know, it's still a lot of time, still a lot of games remaining in the schedule. But, yeah, the, the Sabres have introduced one of the league's big wrinkles in uh, 2018 uh, for how hot they are right now. Yeah, it's uh, I, and you know what? Just for a, a fun, unpredictable perspective to the division, I hope they keep rolling because I think that, would, that makes things just that much more interesting. Uh, Travis, thanks so much, buddy. Yeah, Andy, you got to do me one favor. You've got to ask Mr. Wilson. I know we have him on in the, night, uh, the 12.30 slot here. Yeah. Um, I, I called Calgary the league's most curious and confusing team because some days they look like the best team in the league and some days they look the worst. I need you to ask him about how, how to explain the two games against Vegas where they win 7-2 
look like they can score 15 goals in that game, and then yesterday, a catastrophe. It is it is very Calgary of them. <laughs> you know what? I will for sure. I'll ask him. I'm marking that down right now. Excellent. Thanks, there we go. Okay, talk to you soon. There he goes, Travis Yost, with a question request for Kent Wilson, who will join us following our next guest, Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey. That's coming up following the break right here on TSN Hockey Analytics. Welcome back, TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto, the iHeartRadio app. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We'll put the links up on Twitter as well. Got to follow at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. Some interesting news around Leafs land, and let's chat about that right now with McKean's hockey analyst, Gus Katsaros. Gus, how's it going, bud? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. Oh, anytime. And listen, we're officially one week away. From the William Nylander deadline, we've been marching towards this. It seems like forever. If he doesn't sign a deal by 5 p.m. next Saturday, he'll be ineligible to play this season in the NHL. So let's work off the assumption that the most expected conclusion will be reached, and that's that Nylander will sign a two- or three-year bridge deal with the Leafs. And I say that because this week, on two separate occasions, Mike Babcock either hinted towards Nylander or straight-up mentioned his name during interviews with the media. If Nylander ends up with a bridge deal within the next seven days, how easy of an integration will it be, not only back on the ice for him, but also in the Leaf locker room? Well, I, I really don't think it'll be too much of a deal in the locker room. Everybody knows what uh, um, what to expect. This is a professional league. Players are are, are uh, put in a position where you know sometimes they have to um, take a stand as to what they feel they should be compensated at. And the other players of the room should really respect and understand that because it does have a bit of a trickle-down effect. So uh, I don't think the the room is going to be an issue. And even on the ice, I mean, as long as he's been maintaining and practicing and, and, and staying in shape, um, he, he's got the skill and, and the ability to just – you know, take a few games maybe to just get back up to pace. And I wouldn't even say a few games. It could easily be something as a few shifts just hmm. to get back to NHL pace. And, and I think the transition would be fairly smooth going forward. And it'll be interesting to see as well where he slotted back in right away. If Babcock makes him kind of work his way back up, right, like from the bottom all the way up, or if they just like pops him right back in. That'll be an interesting dynamic, won't it? Well, I don't really think that he deserves to be put in like – like I think what the idea that you're portraying is, let's say they move Kasperi Kapanen down and they move back uh, Nealander back onto the first first line, which I think is what exactly is going to happen. That's his spot. That's the, the that's the spot that Nealander was is being compensated to play. Um, the fact that there's a the potential to start on the fourth line and move his way up, I think, is more of a. Um, um, I think that's more of a punitive mm. factor rather than a strategic factor. And if you're the Leafs and you understand where you're going and you want everybody firing at the same time on, on all cylinders, uh, you put the players in the best situations for them to succeed. If that means Kapanen has to be moved down the roster, so be it. Yeah, I'm with you. Now, this is an interesting question posed to the TSN hockey panel the other day, and it was, what do the Leafs need to do to maximize their chances of winning the Stanley Cup this season? And Gus, how much does your answer change depending on what happens with Nylander in this coming week? Um, I don't really think it matters about Nylander. I think that the Leafs in general have some um, items that they still haven't addressed. And a lot of that goes back to what we saw when uh, when they were playing against Boston last spring. Um, first thing they really have to do is reduce the dependency on Anderson, and that's try to be a bit better defensively. Um, and by being better defensively, what I mean is do better 
to get the puck back when you don't have the puck. Um, there was an incident last night in Columbus where you saw four Leafs heading into the corner against two blue checkers, four checkers, and the four checkers ended up coming away with the puck. That can happen, and it does happen on a very consistent basis. Um, this is the, uh, It requires a bit of a gritty element, something that um, the Leafs haven't really integrated into their lineup going with a more skilled and speedy unit. You know, if I have the puck and you need to catch me, uh, I don't necessarily need to play physical or worry about that. But when you're in the playoffs and you're playing in the grind and you need to get pucks back in order to maximize that offensive style, they need to do something to address that. So I think that they need to add a little bit of grit somewhere down the lineup. And that is just to maximize playing with the puck and being better defensively and reducing their dependency on Frederick Anderson overall. In conversation with McKean's hockey analyst, Gus Katsaros, on Twitter, at CatsHockey. That's Cats with a K. All right, I guess so. Today, the Leafs play the Flyers. First time that Toronto's run into their former Leaf teammate, James Van Riemsdyk, since he became a UFA. Leafs also lost Tyler Bozak, Leo Komarov. Uh, But, of course, for Leaf fans, you add John Tavares, and you kind of forget about those other guys because of the big impact he's had and all the hype coming in. But the other subtra- subtractions that the Leafs weren't expecting to deal with, like the Nylander extended hole, though, like losing Austin Matthews for a significant chunk of time due to injury, who's impressed you most in the Leafs lineup to, to fill these holes up front? Um, well... It's funny because it's kind of worked hand-in-hand. It's a conjunction with a few players. It's not necessarily just one guy. Mm -hmm. However, if you really did want to pinpoint one player, Par Lindholm would be that one for me. I think that he's just... He's one of those plug-and-play kind of guys. You can put him in a specific situation, and you know that you're going to get a good effort and a a proper thinking pattern and and, and really do um, get good results wherever you kind of plug him in. So I think that he's been a very pleasant surprise for the Leafs overall uh, as far as a depth play. Tyler Ennis has been good, especially if he's in a a lower roster and playing against less skilled players. uh, He could take um, advantage of his offensive skill set, so providing some scoring up from the bottom. Josh Levo has been imaginably better than his previous showings in any other season, so uh, that's a nice boost. So the Leafs' depth has been good. Um, I don't think it's really been great, and I don't really think it, it inspires a lot of fear as far as offense goes, but um, they do have components there that have been able to buoy the uh, the fact that they've had two of their major offensive players and Matthews and Neil and they're out of the lineup for so long. It's been serviceable, right? And really, when you're looking at guys to fill in, if you get superstar performance, is great. But you want to not have too much of a drop off. And I think for the Leafs that have been filling in, the guys you mentioned, that if if you were to look at it, it's like okay, they they've done their job overall, right? Absolutely. I, I mean, our, our expectations of Kasperi Kapanen, I think, weren't at the levels of his performance right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we expected him to be good and to be consistent, to provide a consistent shorthanded um, presence, to, to be decent enough uh, depth that can boost that scoring. You know, the Nylander absence has kind of put him in a position where he's able to showcase his skills a little bit more, and it's moved him up in the lineup. Um, and it's given these other players the opportunity to come in and, and do what they do. Janssen had kind of had a bit of a, a rough start, but he's starting to come around too. So it's good to have that depth to be able to fall back on. Uh, and uh, Gus, let's look at Ron Hainsey because he has been one of the leaves that fans have been keeping an eye on throughout this season because we want to track his energy, right? A veteran guy getting up there and, and see if he starts to fade as the season progresses. What have you seen out of Hainsey so far this year? How high is your level of concern for him running out of gas come playoff time? 
Yeah, I'd be concerned about the gas yeah. thing. But I, I, I'd also be concerned just because of the style of play. I think that there's a component that's kind of missing, and, and he's not the same defenseman he seems to have been from last season. Um, he showed uh, a considerable slowdown last season, and I think that we're going to see something a little bit more similar. I mean, I'm pretty aged myself, and I could feel how – you know the the grind of of an 82 game schedule could definitely take a lot out of mm-hmm. him and and you know if you're the dependency is on him to to bolster the blue line and the playoffs because of the veteran leadership and all of that um, the least better hope that there's some kind of a backup plan just in case he does falter. I myself would be a little bit concerned, but I think that they need to address that with something internally. I don't think that they need to go out and trade for a player to replace Ron Hainsey. And last one for you here, Gus. Usually the U.S. Thanksgiving is a benchmark in the NHL schedule where we look at, it starts to become a good time to assess where teams are at as far as most likely to make the playoffs. So going into last night's game against the Blue Jackets, Leafs were third in the Atlantic, trailing the Lightning and the Sabres. I talked about this earlier with Travis Yost, and it's like, that's still so surprising to me. Them on an eight-game winning streak and in second, but what what do you expect kind of down the stretch from Buffalo? Do you feel they're capable of being a surprise playoff team in the East this year? Um, I absolutely think that they could be a team uh, that competes for a playoff spot, whether they actually maintain it now just because of the Thanksgiving benchmark. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. They've, they've had enough of a, a roster upheaval, um, a healthy Jack Eichel, which has been vital, um, and Jeff Skinner just playing out of his mind. So, I mean, if Jeff Skinner really does show a bit of a slowdown, um, there is a little bit of an imbalance to the Buffalo scoring that, that does concern me. So if he takes a downturn, if Eichel for some reason is hurt and that depth in Buffalo isn't able to carry the load, uh, then their playoff spot could definitely be in jeopardy. Gus, great stuff as always, buddy. Thank you so much. Pleasure as always, my Andy. Thanks very much. All right. Gus Katsaros, McKean's hockey analyst on Twitter, Cats with a K, at Cats Hockey. Let's step aside. Kent Wilson from the Athletic Calgary joins me next. I'm an NHL fantasy hockey talk with James Harding following that right here on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. We're rolling along here on TSN Hockey Analytics, TSN 1050 Toronto. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Take us with you, iHeartRadio. And we'll, of course, post the links out on Twitter at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. Let's head out to Calgary to talk about the second in the Pacific Division, Calgary Flames, with Kent Wilson from The Athletic Calgary. Kent, how's it going, man? Good, how are you today? Good, good. And I, I want to start with a question before I forget. Uh, our own TSN.ca Travis Yost, when we talked to him in the first segment, said, please ask Kent this. He's called the Flames the most curious team in the NHL. He'd like you to explain, if you could, how the Flames look so polar opposite in their two games against Vegas, winning 1-7-2 <laughs> and getting shut out uh, a couple days later 2 nothing. Can you explain that for Travis? <laughs> Just put me on the spot there. Yeah, that, that's um, <laughs> I got to do what Travis says, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, I mean, Calgary's been kind of a weird team for a while now. Even last year, uh, there were were segments of the season where they looked elite, and then we all know they kind of collapsed completely <laughs> down the stretch. That said, I think this recent one is just. Uh, uh, the Flames are rolling into Vegas and on Thanksgiving and, and just not 
looking too ready to play, to tell you the truth. And, and you get a few of those every year with, with every team, I think. Right. So it's more just of a uh, got caught a little bit than, than anything to read too deep into. Let's call it the Vegas flu for now. The Vegas, yes. That, <laughs> which which <laughs> certainly can happen, yeah. Uh, Ken, yeah. it seems that with the Calgary Flames, the narrative pretty much starts and ends with goaltending. We have Mike Smith. He's gone through another year of struggles in Calgary so far. But David Riddick has been a surprise answer as a backup option, at least in the short term. If the Flames want any chance of sustained success, does Mike Smith need to find his game in net again? Or can you go to the backup as a legitimate option this season? Yeah, it's funny. I was asked uh, for some pre- preseason predictions before the, the season started, and, and one of them I said I thought Tree Living would have to go out and start looking for goaltenders as early as Christmas this year just because hmm. I don't think betting uh, a roster on a 36-year-old starter is, is a good idea unless you you know, you know have Dominic Hasek or, or Henrik Lundqvist, people who have been elite forever. Because uh, like skaters, goaltenders have a big risk of declining after 35, and, and I think that's what we're starting to see with Mike Smith. So I don't think they can bet on him recovering. Uh, you know, I don't think he's actually this bad in the long term, but him being average to below average is probably the right bet. Um, they're incredibly lucky to to see David Riddick come out and play the way he has. Can he do it long term? I'm not sure. Usually, you need two to three thousand shots on a goaltender to be sure of his true talent, and we don't really have that with Riddick yet. Right. But right now, all they can do is kind of ride him and see how long he can he can go. And if if, if he falls off, uh, they may have to continue looking for goaltending. Interesting. Uh, a couple of hurricanes arrived in Calgary this past off season. Here, Kent, we had both on the ice and Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm and behind the bench in head coach Bill Peters. Has Peters met or exceeded your expectations that you had from prior to the season? Yeah, um, I, I didn't really know what to expect of Bill Peters because it's funny. Uh, the Flames last year under Glenn Gullitson got a lot of shots. They generated a lot of chances, but they couldn't score, and that was the same problem with the Carolina Hurricanes. So it seemed like swapping one... Uh, similar coach to to a, for another, but actually Bill Peters. Now the, t- the team has differed a, a couple of clear ways under Peters. He's much more willing to make in-game adjustments, and he's much more willing to shorten the bench when needed. Glenn Gullitson was strangely stubborn when it came to sticking to the game plan and rolling four lines, and, and <laughs> that didn't always work. I can tell you. And then uh, the Flames last year were strangely fragile. Um, something would go wrong in a game and then three more things would go wrong in a game and they collapse in on themselves. And they went into a lot of third periods with leads that they ended up losing last year. Uh, they're kind of the opposite so far this season. They're, they're coming from behind a lot and, and winning. So it's, uh, I don't know if we can, you know, give that to the, the coach, but for now I don't have another explanation. <laughs> in conversation with Kent Wilson from the <laughs> athletic Calgary on Twitter at Kent underscore Wilson. Okay, Kent, most fans know what Calgary is getting out of Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monaghan, and the Flames' second line of Kachuk, Backlund, and Freleek has been one of the league's most underrated lines. But how much untapped potential is there in this Flames' offense right now? James Neal has been a disappointment so far. So if everyone gets going, what do you think this offense is actually capable of? Yeah, the promise of this roster was depth and, and, and four-line scoring when they came in. They haven't really gotten that yet. You know, you have the high-end guns blazing right now, which is good. Uh, but, yeah, James Neal, he's been stuck on, I think it's three points or three goals so far. Three Jeez. points. It's It's been a very rough go for him. 
Uh, he's been pointless in the last nine games, I think. I think he has one goal in the last 13. So uh, they have Mark Jankowski working on the fourth line. He got 17 goals last year. Uh, they have Austin Zarnick, who came out of Boston, was uh, one of the best AHL scorers last year. He hasn't gotten things going yet. Uh, they have Dylan Dubé, who they are really high on. I'm not sure how long he'll stick in the NHL at 20 years old right now because he's kind of he's kind of struggling a little bit. But they do also have Andrew Mangiapane uh, in the AHL, who was one of the best AHL scorers last year. So there is definitely untapped potential in the bottom six. It's just figuring out the chemistry and, and the combinations to get it going. Kent, when we look back to last season, the Flames had a lot of praise from the media when it came to their defensive core. There's been a few changes this year, especially on the bottom pair. How strong is Calgary's defensive depth when you look past the likes of Mark Giordano and TJ Brody? Yeah, it was it was a bit of a gamble by Bradford Living in the offseason. He moved uh, Dougie Hamilton, who had been playing with Mark Giordano, and for my money, they were one of the best pairings mm-hmm. in the league at the time. But they, they struggled after those two guys, so it, it, I guess this was a move to to clear that up. And actually, so far, it's worked. Uh, TJ Brody has been moved up with Giordano, moved back to the right side where he looks a lot more comfortable, and they're still going strong. And then Hannafin came in. He... He didn't look too comfortable for the first five to ten games, especially when uh, Hamannick went down to injury. But since the veteran has come back, uh, that's been a very solid second pairing for them as well. And the third pairing is a, a couple of rookies, Rasmus Anderson, Yusuf Valimaki. Uh, they've had their ups and downs, as most rookies do. And Valimaki has jumped straight into the NHL from the WHL, which is quite the leap. But they've slowly kind of gotten more comfortable as things have gone along, too. So it's... Uh, it's interesting. And then they have Michael Stone, who is a you know, steady fifth, sixth guy veteran who's sitting out right now. And they have Oliver Shillington, who's a 21-year-old uh, rookie in the kind of brought along slowly. And he's having a really big season, too. So it seems to be pretty strong. In conversation with Kent Wilson from The Athletic Calgary on Twitter, at Kent underscore Wilson. Last one for you here, Kent. And when you look at that Pacific Division, real crapshoot right now, right? Like the Ducks look like they were down or out, but now they're only, uh, what, three points out of first place. You have San Jose at the top, Calgary, Vegas, uh, under 500. Like, there's a lot of question marks still. That being said, looking ahead, projecting for the rest of the year, do you feel the Flames are right up there with San Jose when it comes to serious contenders for the Pacific Division? Yeah, I think they are. Uh, You know, it'll, it'll... Right on a few things, uh, one of them being the defense. Uh, Calgary, through the first 10 to 15 games, were actually one of the worst defensive teams in the league, and it really looked like a roster and a coach kind of getting to know one another. Um, since then, they've been above board. Uh, they put up some of the best possession numbers over the last seven games in the league. And then it'll come down to you know goaltending. If David Riddick can keep this up or at least be average to above average all year, uh, that's kind of the final piece of the puzzle for Calgary, who have struggled with some of the worst net mining in the league since Mika Kiprasov retired. So if those things can keep up, um, I think they have the firepower, and I think they have the underlying numbers to make it work. Well, it's going to be fun watching them and that whole division just to see how it shakes out. Kent, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, Kent Wilson from The Athletic Calgary. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Kent underscore Wilson.
time for some NHL fantasy talk, folks. And I go to my guy after the break, James Harding from NHL.com, to help us out. If you have any fantasy hockey questions, you can tweet him at jharding underscore hockey, the show at TSN Analytics, and myself at AndyMC81. But we'll get some start, sit, some uh, stock up, stop down, and some injury replacement options for your fantasy hockey team. That's coming up next here on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Back to wrap up another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. Subscribe and rate us on Instagram, well, on iTunes. You can get us on Instagram, too, but you can take us with you on iTunes, the iHeartRadio app, Twitter at TSN Analytics, at AndyMC81. See, I'm just too excited to talk some NHL fantasy hockey with my next guest, James Harding from NHL.com, who, by the way, is brought to you by three brewers, microbrewery restaurants. They're across the GTA, folks. And if you're looking for a spot for your office holiday party, family celebration, just to hang out, have some good food, watch the game, just enjoy yourself, try Three Brewers right now. Great beer, great food, great times. James Harding from NHL.com. James, how's you, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty well today, Andy. How are you, buddy? I'm doing good. How, now, we've been asking our American guest, Travis Yost, and now yourself, uh, how was your Thanksgiving? Are you coming out of the turkey coma? Uh, a, a little bit, yeah. You know, yesterday, I, I kind of had to come out of it uh, uh, yesterday because I actually had to had to work yesterday as well. So uh, I kind of couldn't use that as an excuse. So, but, but I had a good day. But I, I, that's for sure. Excellent. Well, you know what else is going to be excellent? Stock up, stock down. Let's go. Stock up. Stock down. We always got to get that sweet sting in there, right, James? Absolutely. <laughs> give, give me your two stock ups for this weekend's slate of games. Yeah, so my first stock up for this weekend, uh, heading out to the desert and the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, Riley Smith really had started very slow this season, only had seven points through his first 20 games, uh, still skating out there on their first line with Jonathan Marcheseau and William Carlson, but really hadn't been having any kind of an effect. That team overall this year, as we all know, has been down a little bit. Uh, but Smith right now riding a four-game point streak, uh, one goal, five assists, three power play points, and seven shots on goal. Uh, because of his slow start, had been uh, dropped and lost a lot of faith from fantasy owners, so only 48% owned in Yahoo leagues right now. Uh, but I like where Smith is trending at the moment. So uh, I'm very high on Riley Smith. And the other guy who I'm very high on is actually Tom Wilson hmm. from the Washington Capitals. Uh, he's above 50% owned right now in fantasy hockey leagues on Yahoo, 55%. But he comes into this weekend with a four-game point streak uh, with three multi-point games. And he has points in five of his six games so far since returning from his season-opening suspension. Uh, three goals and five assists and getting excellent category coverage with 13 hits and 13 shots on goal. Uh, skating on that first line for the Caps with Ovechkin and Nick Backstrom uh, until Evgeny Kuznetsov and TJ Oshie return, and they probably make some lineup shuffles. But I uh, really, really like what I'm seeing out of Smith and Wilson right now. Are you liking Wilson for uh, a DraftKings lineup against the Rangers? 
Uh, I would like Tom Wilson uh, against the Rangers tonight, especially, or this afternoon, I believe, especially with them starting uh, Georgia of their backup. Mm. So I think that's a very good matchup for the, for the Capitals. So those are stock up. Who are we staying away from to stock downs? Yeah, stock down. And this one hurts me because uh, he's one of my favorite players in the league, and he's on one of my fantasy teams right now. But it's Vladimir Tarasenko from the Blues. Um, he did have an assist against the Predators last night, uh, which snapped a three-game pointless drought. But that team is in a lot of trouble right now, obviously, uh, making the change going away from Mike Yo as the head coach uh, just last week. Uh, 29 shots on goal in his past seven games, but only three points, and all of them are assists. Uh, he does have 17 points in 21 games this season, putting him on pace to uh, hit the 66-point mark that he did last year. Uh, but unfortunately, he's not on pace right now to break 25 goals, and this is a guy every year who uh, fantasy experts and analysts project to hit about the 35 or 40 goal mark. Um, he's skating with Ryan O'Reilly there in St. Louis, so you would expect him to have a much, much larger role right now. But Tarasenko just isn't doing it at the moment. And then my second stock down is the Nashville Predators defenseman, Ryan Ellis, uh, looked uh, to maybe take an offensive step forward with P.K. Subban out of the lineup there, but only has points in two of his past nine games. Uh, he's 88% owned in Yahoo. So with a guy who is that high of an ownership, uh, who began the season as a preseason top 130 player in Yahoo and has now dropped outside the top 180, uh, until I really see anything from Ryan Ellis, I think there are better defensive options uh, if you have the ability to pick them up. All right, so those are Stock Up, Stock Down, brought to you by Three Brewers in conversation with James Harding from NHL.com, their terrific fantasy hockey writer on Twitter, at jharding underscore hockey. Okay, James, you know on the program, you know we love our sleepers, right? And we have 11 games on the Saturday NHL docket, four for Sunday. So when you're filling out your DraftKings lineup, give me a sleeper or two that you like uh, over these two days in the weekend. Yeah, uh, I really like Andrew Shaw from the Montreal Canadiens uh, skating on the second line there with uh, Max Domi and Jonathan Druin has uh, 10 points in his last eight games, and both Druin and Domi each have more than 10 points in their last 10 games as well. Uh, So he's a great value, I believe, right around the $4,500 mark for DraftKings. But the guy who I really like, $3,000 super value, sleeper from the Dallas Stars, Rupe Hintz, uh, called up before their game on November 18th against the Islanders. Uh, He hadn't played a game since mid-October. He has points in three of his four games since his call-up, two goals and one assist with seven shots on goal, skating on the second line there with Jason Spezza and Devin Shore, and has been bumped onto their second power play unit with uh, Shore, Tyler Pidlick, and defenseman Essa Lindell and Miro Heiskanen. So I, I really like the upside there. And at $3,000, uh, even if he gives you just a handful of points, it's uh, still a steal to put him in your lineup. Well, yeah, then it opens up salary cap room for top-end players. I love that. So okay, say the name again, 3000 bucks for Rupe? Rupe Hintz, H-I-N-T-Z. Okay, I'm going to write that down. There you go, folks. That's why you tune in to Hockey Analytics on the fantasy side with James Harden. That's a great value. And especially with those differential points that are so important in daily play, right? Absolutely, 100%. And the fact that he's playing with a guy like Spezza, who's yeah. really kind of having a resurgence right now uh, after a down year last year, uh, just getting the, the exposure. He actually skated on a line with Jamie Benn in the preseason 
and Ben at the time said this guy is an NHL player. Hmm. Um, so so he, he's got a bright future ahead of him. Interesting. In conversation with James Harding from NHL.com, fantasy writer. Now, James, we were talking before, and one of the more frustrating things, of course, for league uh, year-long leagues in NHL fantasy, and even in, in DFS and in DraftKings, when you're looking to slate your lineup, you're, you're excited to play a guy, slot him into your lineup, and there's injuries. Injury replacements are key to winning a league, winning a contest. You have a couple of injury replacements that you like. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a few really high-end goaltenders right now who uh, are, are injured or have been injured uh, this season. You know, Jonathan Quick and Jack Campbell out in L.A., uh, Matt Murray just this week for Pittsburgh, Andre Vasilevsky last week for the Lightning, uh, Antti Ranta from the uh, uh, Arizona Coyotes, I almost said Phoenix, um, <laughs> returned last night uh, after a lengthy absence. So, um, you know, a lot of goaltenders right now who are injured and some really great options out there. Uh, obviously, the backups, Casey DeSmith in Pittsburgh, uh, Luis Domingue in Tampa Bay, and Calvin Peterson in Los Angeles all have played very admirably right now moving into those starting positions. But uh, two guys who I really like in goal, number one, a guy you're familiar with up there in Toronto is uh, Curtis McElhinney yeah. from the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, six and two right now with a two two five goals against and nine one nine save percentage, vastly outplaying both Peter Morezik and Scott Darling down there. So it looks like he's going to see more starts going forward at the moment. Uh, had a great game last night in their win. And then if he's still available in your league from the Flames, David Riddich has really pushed the Flames towards a timeshare with Mike Smith. Uh, he's 8-2-0 and with a 2.04 goals against and a 9.30 save percentage, vastly outplaying Mike Smith this season. Uh, he's younger, and, and the Flames just seem to play better when he's on the ice and when he's in net. Uh, so I, I like both as short-term and potentially more long-term value for both of them as well, uh, Curtis McElhinney and David Riddich, if they're still available. Now, are you liking them both for league pickup and kind of keep on your roster as well as daily over this weekend? Of course, if you're playing it in DraftKings, you've got to make sure that they're actually playing. You've got to track that to, to make sure you're not starting a guy who's sitting that night. Absolutely, yeah. I, I like them both in league play and in DFS right okay. now. McElhinney did play last night, so I don't believe he'll get the start tonight. It will probably be Scott Darling, but you know they have rolled uh, goaltenders on back-to-back -back nights before, and he has won three consecutive games, so that would be something uh, to monitor right there. But uh, right now, uh, when either of them is in net, I, I'd be taking a, a shot on both of them in either league play or in DFS. Good stuff, buddy. James, keep up the great work. We'll talk to you next week. All right, buddy. Sounds great. All right, there he goes. James Harding, NHL.com fantasy hockey writer. You can tweet him any of your NHL fantasy questions at jharding underscore hockey. That'll do it for us here on the show. For producer Sean Lavery, Chris Devero, I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto.